0: Right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle. Hey, listen, I want to talk to you guys for just a second. Uh, before we dive into the, to this next section of the neighbor series, I want to talk to you about when you leave church today. So, And I want to kind of give you the background of the situation. So we have been telling you guys that we need you to turn right for a long time. Uh, and we tried that because what we're trying to do is find a way to make this work. And I want everyone to understand why it's so hard. So the construction... And all of that has exasperated a problem that's been around for a long time for us, and that's getting lots of people off of the parking lot. So when all you guys leave, you're going to have to leave, and then there's a whole other group this size coming in, right? And so you got people coming in and people leaving, and a light up here that, let's just say, is not kind to us, okay? So it's like, it's green. No, it's not again. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, okay. So it's like someone in the sky is, is making this thing go way too fast. So we have a problem. What ends up happening is everyone's on the parking lot, and these people can't come in, and it's gridlocked. So after talking to the state, the state we, we've done everything you can imagine. There's just not a lot of great solutions. So the best solution out there was to turn right. But we found a way to make that hard on ourselves because, and I understand, I'm not mad at you. But a lot of us just will not go up Higbee Road, and there's a way. We've shown you like it only takes a few more minutes, but there's something about it. I think people think there's a monster down that road or something. They're like, we can't, can't do Higby Road. So we're doing U-turns in neighborhoods and U-turns in the middle of highways, and, 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 it, and it's just become a bad situation. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. You get to choose however you want to go. And that's the thing. You're adults, and adults like to choose because we love to choose. So so we're we're like, you get to choose. If you want to turn left, you can. If you want to turn right, you can. Now, I'm asking you, if you love Jesus. No, I won't go that far. (laughs) But I'm asking you as your pastor. I will tell you, I, I understand some of you have legit reasons. Maybe you need to turn left for whatever reason. And I understand that. But some of you can, and you don't mind, and you're like, I don't mind taking Higby Road. I'm going to ask you to keep, if you've been turning right, and you're like, Higby Road's beautiful. It's beautiful. The fields, the trees, I really like it. Keep doing it, because it will help us, because we don't know how it's going to work. We're going to try this today, though, because we do, we don't want you to feel like they're making us go right. We don't want you to feel that way. So we're just trying to make it work for everyone. So when you leave today, know this, you can go either way. And if you choose to turn left, we know you love Jesus, and we love you, and we're not mad at you. Like, we're telling you, do what you want. But if you don't mind turning right, it will help us. But if you're going to U-turn, if you're going, off, if you're going to go off-road, if you're going to take a delightful sightseeing tour through the verandas, don't turn right. Just go ahead and turn left. Now, here's what may happen. What may happen is we may all get backed up out at this light, and you may end up sitting in this parking lot for a while today. And that may happen, and I'm just going to warn you about that, and you're going to have to choose what you get mad about, okay? But what I'll tell you is this is a beautiful parking lot. Just take time to notice how beautiful it is. Spend some time <laughs> talking to your family. Got that nice pasture out there. It's really nice. So turn on the radio, have a nice conversation. So we don't know how this is going to work, but we want you to make your choice. But I am asking you to be patient, and if you do turn right, then Commit. Go down those roads, go all the way. Don't turn around and come back. Don't go halfway up one and turn right. Just go all the way or turn left. We'll see what God does with that today, all right? It's going to be cool. We cool? Y'all not mad at me, are you? We good, right? Okay, okay. We can do this. We can do it. And one day all the roads are going to be fixed. It's all going to be great. But for right now, we're a family. we got to work together. Now, let's dive into the Neighbor Series. Each week, we look at a different angle on the Good Samaritan story. And today we're going to look at the concept of hospitality. Hospitality. The Good Samaritan story... It's going to teach us a lot about hospitality. Now, my my wife and I love a magazine, and it's called Garden and Gun Magazine. How many of you have ever heard of Garden and Gun? We love it. We've been to their home offices in Charleston. They're so great. This is excellence in photography, writing, storytelling. And what we love about it is they do a very wonderful, sophisticated, artful, excellent job of telling the story of our region, the South, which we love, which we grew up in, which we do ministry in. And so we just love everything about them. And if you want to know how to throw a great party, they'll teach you how to do it. If you want to know how to get the food right, the beverages right, the food choices, the glassware, if you want to know what wines to pair with what cheese or whatever, you know, it's there for the taking. They can teach you how to do it perfectly, the right music. But let me tell you what Garden and Gun cannot Pecan pie, that looked good. Did y'all see that pecan pie on there? Anyway, what they cannot teach you how to do, they cannot teach you how to be biblically hospitable. As great as they are, they can't teach you how to be biblically hospitable. And most of us, especially in our region, when we think hospitality, that's what we think. We think Southern living. We think bring out the show. We got to do a great job with this. And that's why many of us simply are not hospitable in the way the Bible would call us to be. And today I hope to remove some of those stigmas and I want to show you today a different way for us because the Good Samaritan story teaches us not to just be hospitable but to be people of hospitality. And, and that's important. It was important in Jesus' day and it is today because we live in a world of hostility where everybody is hostile towards one another. You go on Facebook, hostility. You go on Twitter, Hostility. On a Sunday after a day where LSU, Bama, and Auburn loses and Tennessee wins, everybody's hostile. I'm not sure if it's ever happened before. It is truly unprecedented. Right? Nobody's happy today. Oh, yeah. Georgia won. Anyway, so, okay. All right. Now we're having fun. I should have included the dogs, but I think we all knew they were going to win. All right. But in a world of hostility, watch this, biblical hospitality bites through in a very powerful way. But I want to show you today. I want to take the pressure off. Biblical hospitality is far more good Samaritan than it is Martha Stewart. That's the beauty of it. Being biblically hospitable is way more about being the good Samaritan than it is about putting on a show, having everything right. So let's dive in. Let's read the parable. A lawyer asked Jesus... Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Then you go and do likewise. Now that last sentence, church, listen, that last sentence turns everything we learn from the parable into commands. That last sentence is important because he says, now you you go do likewise. As you understand this parable, you got you, you must apply that into your life. Go and do likewise. And I want to show you today that the Samaritan exhibited what is biblical hospitality in the way he treated this man. And there's two important elements. The Samaritan used what he had to help a stranger. He used what he had to help a stranger. And that is exactly the Greek idea. Your New Testament was written in Greek. That was the pervasive language, intellectual language of the day. It was very universal in its usage through the region. So we have the Greek New Testament. And and so when we think hospitality, and you're going to hear it used a lot in the New Testament, it's this word. It's xenia. And it means guest friendship or ritualized friendship. So it's not just people that you're comfortable with. It's guest friendship and ritualized friendship, which means this. Biblical hospitality will involve your friends, but that's easy. It's easy to be hospitable to your friends, so it does involve your friends, but it must not only involve your friends. It also involves strangers. The idea, the Greek idea of xenia, of hospitality, always involves strangers. Now, the Jews were very hospitable people. They were big at having dinners together, but they had them with their friends. The Jews were very exclusive. They kept it tight. And that's why Jesus was so scandalous to them because he was willing to open the table up. But the Greeks, funny enough, and all their paganism were very open. They were more, they thought that it was a very good thing because they thought their culture was so good, they wanted to introduce the world to their culture. They thought if you hang out with Greek people for a little while at dinner, it makes the whole world better, you know? And it's like the Christians should have that same idea. So the new church thought the same thing. They thought if you can spend time with a group of Christians in their home around a table, it could change your life. We like that Greek xenia idea that hospitality idea and that's where we begin to go it involves friends and strangers now when i when i teach a principle or when i look at a principle and i go this is something that i see in the bible is it something we should do is did did jesus teach us something here that we should keep doing and and one kind of way i've learned to look at that is the idea of saying okay when we see jesus do something did he teach it and model it and then did the New Testament church continue to do it and did the apostles continue to teach we should keep doing this Let will give, give an example okay Jesus washed the disciples feet at the last supper right okay and that's a powerful thing there are a lot of churches and I don't think they're wrong but they go we need to keep doing that Jesus did it we should do it okay uh, but there's other things that Jesus did that we don't do like Jesus cursed a fig tree and you know I like figs so we don't we don't keep doing that now, how do I know what I should and what I shouldn't? Well, because if you look, they never wash feet again in the New Testament. They never do that. That was the thing Jesus did that night to model serving one another. So, and the apostles don't further support it. Their teachings, Peter, John, James, Paul. They don't, so you go, okay, that was something Jesus said. If we want to do that, we can. It's not wrong. But it doesn't become what this does where Jesus says of the Good Samaritan, now you go do this. You continue to do it in this particular way. So what we see with hospitality is it's something Jesus taught and modeled, and the New Testament church continued doing it, and the apostles continued to teach it. It is a command for us that we are to keep doing this. So let me give you an example. Did Jesus actually do this? Let's look at Mark 2.15. It says this, "...as Jesus reclined at the table in his house... Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, let me just tell you tax collectors were the most hated and reviled people in Jesus' day because they were Jews who had basically sold out to the Romans who had taken them over, and they had become tax collectors for Rome. All right? So everybody, hey, so they would go, there are bad people, and then there are tax collectors. Now, if you're in a an accountant in this room today, we want you to know we love you, and we don't hold any of this against you. Like if you're you're an IRS agent or whatever, we love you in Jesus' name. It's not the same. But back then, oh, man, they were bad, okay? So they're all sitting at the table with Jesus. In verse 16, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So a few things we see here. Now let me talk about Jesus for a minute. Because what we love to do, I see this a lot, is people love to tell the story. And it's a true story about the day Jesus went to the temple and he made a whip out of a rope. And he ran everybody out of the temple and he kicked over the tables. You remember that? And we love that story. You want to know why I think we love to tell that story over and over again? Because it makes us feel a little better about being mad all the time. We're all mad about everything. We go, well, look, Jesus got mad too. We, want, we it makes us feel better. Can I give you a little truism today? Jesus sat at far more tables than he flipped over. Let me say that again. Jesus sat at more tables than he flipped over. He flipped over tables once. He sat at them all the time. This is important for us to understand. Jesus modeled biblical hospitality for us. How did he do it? Well, he, if you look across the gospels, including the incident I just gave you here, Jesus actively and consistently engaged with new people. He didn't just hang out with the 12. He had the 12 and you have your community of friends and that includes hospitality. Xenia includes that, but it is not only that. Jesus was always inviting new people into his circle. And he commanded others to do it as well. And the New Testament church, always bringing new people in. They used their tables, if you will, as invitations. Also, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus actively and consistently engaged with people who were different than him. Not just new people, but different. And the Samaritan story models this. The Samaritan and the Jew were different in every way. There was even hatred between them and their people groups. There were ethnic differences, economic differences. There were worship differences, theological differences. And yet, the Samaritan shows this radical, all the way hospitality to this guy. He goes all the way. It's important for us to see that. He used what he had. If you notice, the Samaritan, there's clues that tell you the Samaritan was a rich guy. He had stuff that normal people in that day didn't have. He had all this stuff with him. He also had an animal, meaning he drove up in his Land Rover. Or his Tesla. Yeah, Tesla. What a weird car. They're cool, though. They're really cool. He had this. Because notice that the scribe and the priest, they didn't have an animal to ride on. They were wealthy, too. But they didn't have... They're walking. But this guy's riding... And he uses what he has. And my point to you today is, listen, whatever you have, if you're Martha Stewart, let it fly. You know what I mean? If that's how you show hospitality, go for it. If you're good at that stuff, my wife's that way. My wife's very good at that because she learned from her mom how to be really good at that. But that has nothing to do with biblical hospitality. It's about using what you have. And Jesus did that. And he engaged people just like the Samaritan who were different than him. It doesn't get any different than a Jewish rabbi, that's who Jesus was, and tax collectors. That's different. Jesus had the reputation that he would eat with these kinds of people. Why why was it such a big deal? Why were the Pharisees so mad that a rabbi would do what Jesus was doing? Here's why. Because they saw... And the Bible agrees that eating with someone is a radical form of hospitality. Did you know that? Eating with someone is a radical form of hospitality. Let me tell you why. Because we may all have a lot of differences, and we all do. You may be an obby and your neighbor may be a bammer. But the differences may be far, far greater than that. We all have these differences, but biblical hospitality brings you to a place where we do have something in common. Because you could be different politically. You could put a Democrat and a Republican at a table and and with a million different differences. But when the food hits the table, you both need that. Because all humans need nourishment. You need food and you need drink. And that's why a meal is so powerful because we can agree on this. Like You can go, you know what? I don't agree with your politics. I don't agree with your team loyalties. I don't agree with how you're doing life, but that Chick-fil-A sandwich we're about to have is good, and I know we agree on that because if you don't agree on that, you're not a human being. You're of a different species. You have a health problem, Right? So we can agree. So what what the Bible brilliantly does is brings us to a place where we go, we can start here. We can start right here in this moment. We can sit at a table and have all these disagreements, but be able to laugh and converse and breathe the same air and eat the same food and drink the cup and fellowship as humans. It's very, very powerful. Jesus was also willing to endure criticism to consistently connect with people. He got criticized. It was derision that was pointed at him because of these choices. Jesus didn't hang out with the people that rabbis hung out with. And he was criticized for it. Let me just say this to you. I don't know if you'll be criticized for what we're going to ask you and challenge you to do today. I don't know about that. But I do know that it'll be awkward. If you do what biblical hospitality asks us to do, sometimes it's going to be awkward. It's going to be some weird, tough conversations. And yet God's calling us to do this, and I'm going to tell you in a few minutes why I think that is. But before we get to why, let's talk about when. Now that we see that Jesus did this, does the Bible support what he told us and modeled in the New Testament, in the writings of the apostles? Absolutely. And I'm going to show you several examples. And the first thing that the New Testament continues to tell us about hospitality is when? When should I be hospitable? It's an important question. Romans 12:9:13 says this: "Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, and watch this, and seek to show hospitality. Xenia, seek to show, and that word show means practice. If you want to put that in the margin somewhere, that's what that word show comes from, the idea of practice. So what do we learn about when to be hospitable? The first thing we see here is that biblical hospitality is not an event. It is a lifestyle. So if you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to work myself up and do this one time. You know, mark it off my list. Like baptism. Like baptism is a part of the Christian life that, that you're to do once, and then you move on from that and grow in Christ. And we're going to see that happen today in all of our services. It's going to be great. And, and just recently we baptized like 90 people at the beach just a few weeks ago. Isn't that awesome to see what God's doing? Pretty amazing stuff, right? But the idea here is, no, no, it's ongoing. Hospitality is not something you do one time. It becomes who we are. It's not an event. The idea of practicing, show hospitality practice, means ongoing with improvement. It means I keep doing it. I keep getting better at it. The first time you have people that you don't know very well into your home, it's going to be weird because we don't do it much. But you know what? Those people get around you and come into your house and they see, wow, they have, they have dust on stuff too. Normal people. They got a weird dog too. They're cat strange too. Aren't they all? So I'm just kidding. The cat people are like, dude, we're coming for you, man. See, it's important for us to understand that it can't just be an event and you get better at it as you do it. The reason it's going to be awkward is you've never done it. Hospitality is also not just for special days. There's nothing about just doing this on the Passover. There's nothing about just doing this during the Jewish feast. This is meant to be a lifestyle for the early church. So it's not just Christmas. It's not just Thanksgiving. It's easy to be hospitable then. You got, you know, Sinatra singing White Christmas. You got stuff, you know, to cook. And everybody's cooking. Everybody's open to the invitation. It feels right at Christmas. Easy. But like some odd... Tuesday night in September well now that's weird but that's what biblical hospitality looks more like it looks more like lifestyle it looks more like this is just who we are and practicing hospitality most importantly involves using what you have the Samaritan used what he had and we're to use whatever's in our hands. And, and I got taught a lesson in hospitality that I'll never forget. Three years ago, Nan and I, my wife and I, got to go to Africa with Compassion International, who we partner with, our church partners with. And we went to Kenya, and that what you're seeing is a very small slice of the biggest slum in the world. It's one of the most horrible places in the world for humans to be, right there. And we went into that slum because Compassion International is reaching kids for Jesus in there and helping families. And we were going to meet these this, this wonderful young African mother with her two sons who Compassion was helping. And, and as we're walking in, this is what we're walking into, and you're stepping over open ditches that are sewage. You're stepping over that to get to where, and this is the outside of her little spot. Her little spot was probably half the size of the men's and women's restrooms in our lobby here. So there's, there was nothing there. That was right outside of her, her little place. Okay? And we walk in, and here's a picture of us with her and her sons that day. And I got a lesson in hospitality. Because when we walked in, we realized real fast that she was really happy to see us. She was so happy. Her joy in us being there was, was infectious. But as I stood there, I got a lesson in hospitality because I looked down and realized her floor was dirt. To step out of, like if you took two steps out of her door, you'd step into a sewage ditch. But I looked over in the corner and I saw a crude handmade stick with straw at the bottom that she had tied strings around to make a broom sitting in the corner. And then I looked down and I realized that that lady had swept the dirt. I could see the marks all going one way, beautifully, of that broom combing through the dirt on the floor to prepare for our arrival. She showed us radical hospitality. She couldn't have thrown a five-course menu feast that could have grabbed my heart like it did when I realized that that lady had swept the dirt. But dirt is what she had. And a broom is what she had. And a little bag of dried oats is what she had. And that's what she offered us in little cups. And she was so happy we were there. Now that is hospitality. Is saying, this is what I have. And i offer it to you. Now that is what it looks like. And it was powerful. How should we be hospitable? If we now know when it's ongoing, then how should we become hospitable? Well, Peter, and I love, he's always a pretty straightforward guy, He tells us in 1 Peter 4, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show, there it is again, show, hospitality, so practice xenia, the Greek word, to one another, watch this, without grumbling. I like that. In other words, Peter says, you need to be hospitable and don't gripe about it. (laughs) Peter was straight up, man. Paul would give you like theological navigation. Peter would just punch you in the throat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, be hospitable. Don't let me hear you fuss about it. Be happy about it. John Piper says this about hospitality. He says the command to be hospitable is not just a command to do something. It is not just a command that can be legalistically fulfilled with a quota of guests. It is a command to be a certain kind of person. Namely, the kind that doesn't resent having to be hospitable. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that biblical hospitality is joyful hospitality. One of the happiest people I've ever seen in my life to have me in their home was that woman in Africa. I've never seen anyone as happy for me to walk in their home and to try to show me honor, to honor me the best she could than her. That's what it looks like, guys. We must move from we have to be hospitable to we get to be hospitable. Because you know what? If you come to my house, I've got hardwood floors. No dirt. So I I could go, I get to clean up this nice house for people to come. I have more than dried oats to offer you. If you want dried oats, I can do that. More than willing. But if you want more, I can do more. I can do like cheese and crackers. My wife's fancy in this stuff. She she can make cheese and crackers look really good. I can do far more and you can too, most of us. But that's the point. The point is the scale. It doesn't matter how much or how little. The, the point is what do we have? What can we open up in our lives to make a difference? Biblical hospitality also requires diligence because if we don't kind of get ourselves going with this in the power of Jesus. We just won't ever do it. It's something we will never do because it's just too easy to hang out with our friends. It's just too easy to stay comfortable. And this, frankly, is very uncomfortable. It really is. But it happens to be a command. Like, it's a big deal in the New Testament. I personally think we're ignoring the command, by and large, in the, in the modern church. I just don't think we're doing this anymore. And I think it may be Listen, I think it may be one of the keys to us being effective again in reaching people around us. I really do because in a world of hostility, hospitality bites through. In a world where everyone is loud with hostility, hospitality is the only thing that can be even louder that people can actually hear. Look at Hebrews 13, it says, let brotherly love continue, do not neglect. So Peter said, without grumbling, Hebrews says, don't neglect to practice and show hospitality to strangers. There's that that thing. And here's one of the most mysterious verses in the whole Bible. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now you may go, tell us what that means. I'm not going to tell you what that means today. You want to know why? Because I don't know what that means. I just know it sounds really cool. Doesn't it, church? So I don't know about that second half. I mean, I I think what it's telling you is there's been people who have shown hospitality to strangers and they didn't know but it was angels. That's pretty cool. But you know what? I think most of us can't say that, that that could be a possibility because maybe we haven't entertained too many strangers, just our friends. And we know they're not angels. Here's why this is so important. And I, want to, I, want to, I really want you to grab onto this today. I want you to leave with this in your mind. What if? What if inviting someone to your table could become an invitation to the kingdom? Now that is why I believe the New Testament. Was so, this was so huge to them. Because if they could get, they were the weird Christians that believed the Romans crucified a guy and he came back to life. They're weird, and the Jewish people of, of the Jewish religion of that time, and then the Romans had perpetrated these myths about Christians, and they, I mean, all the way down to cannibalism, everything you can imagine. People believed the Christians were weird, crazy people. So what did they do to break down those walls? Hospitality, and they and people would come and sit down with them and go. No one's more loving than Christians. No one's more kind than Christians. They didn't even know me and they treated me this way. And that is the power of it. And here's what we've been praying over this day and what might happen out of it and what we're going to ask you to do today by having some meals that matter. Here's my prayer is that six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, we're baptizing people. And when we say, how did you come to Jesus? They go, you know what? A few years back, someone at your church invited me to a meal at their home. And I went to their house. Yeah, yeah, I went to their house. And I can't wait to hear the stories. Like, someone's going to be, I went to their house, and man, this she couldn't cook. It was not good. And I was just trying to shovel it in and just smile. And they, you know, the, the house was, it was loud. They had, the kids were in the back, and I think the kids got in a fight or something. And they had a, they had a cat. And, it, it, and so, but you know what? They showed me the love of God. And then they invited me again and they got better at it. Like the next time we came, the conversations opened up. And then they found out that I'd recently went through a divorce and that my mom has dementia. And they just kept digging into my life and loving on me. And they ended up being these important people in my life. They got me through some tough situations. And one day, after a few months of this, they led me to Christ. I gave my life to Jesus. You know, that's what we're praying for, guys. What if inviting someone to your table? could be an invitation to the kingdom. Now, why should we be hospitable? Why is important? Why should we be hospitable? 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. What, what's, what's Peter saying here? Peter's saying, we've all received God's hospitality. We were all sinners and enemies of God, and he showed us this kind of hospitality, so we, too, should show it. We, too, should show it. So our challenge today is for you to have meals that matter. And we're going to tell you more about that in a moment to tell you how you can do this. But I hope that you'll remember everything you've heard today. Even put the most famous story about a meal in the Bible, really, where Martha and Mary had Jesus and the disciples over to their house. And Martha was absolutely the southern living lady, man. She wanted it all right. Mary was like, let's hang out with Jesus. And if you remember, just go read the story. Jesus looks at Martha. He says, Martha, you're worried about so many things when only one thing really matters. You hear that? You're worried about many things, only one thing mattered. And that's what we hope today that you will do, that you will embrace the idea of radical biblical hospitality and in doing so one meal at a time one awkward conversation at a time one neighbor at a time maybe we can change our community for Christ